Have you come to that place in your life where you've trusted your everything into his hands? Not just intellectually, but that's why we say with our heart, with our all. Have you come to that place where you've said, I have believed? Have you believed? Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Church. Hey, it's good to be back. When I left you, I was uh, in my 40s. And now I'm getting mail from AARP. What's up with that? Hey, do me a favor and welcome those from our campus, Mission Hill, Six Mile. Pastor Jeff and those that are worshiping with us today. We'll have two services here, and then we'll gather at Mission Hill Lake Carroll. God is at work in our midst, and I'm grateful to get in on it. It's been a tough week in some ways for our church family. The Bible says I'd rather be a a doorkeeper, a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. And uh, we lost one of our gatekeepers over the last 10 days or so, Mr. Frank McConville. If you come in from our north side, he was almost every week there uh, just... uh, welcoming you and greeting you. And if, if you, uh, like my sons, worked in vacation Bible school with him, he might even get down as the coach that he was and just remind you of the fun that he could have. And, and now he's having the opportunity to greet people as they uh, enter into the gates of heaven. And uh, one of those that entered since he began that greeting process is sweet Kathy Stock. And so that was a shock to us this week, but we sure love Dr. Jim and Miss Kathy, and we're praying for them, that family, in the days ahead. I'm so thankful that our God still speaks and moves and works miracles, even in the midst of our pain. That's some of what we're going to talk about as we open our Bibles and look to John chapter 9, the book of John chapter 9. We're continuing the message series on the miracles, the wonders, the signs of Jesus. I want to ask you a question. Do you still believe that God moves mountains. Do you believe that God still works in miraculous ways? Do you trust him for the miracles in your life? If I could sum up this passage, I would go all the way down to verse 25 in this chapter 9 of John where the man who was blind said this, one thing I do know that though I was blind, Now, I see. That's where that comes from. It didn't come from this song that you might know and you'll sing with me that goes like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I... But now I am found, was blind, but now I see. I'm so thankful that God 
has been working for many, many years. The sight-giving miracle of salvation. And he does that in this passage. That's what you're going to see today. Now, the context of John chapter 9 is found in a scriptural canvas that began in John chapter 8. When John chapter 8 starts, we find Jesus encountering the woman called in adultery. Every sinner's favorite passage. Because Jesus finds this woman and takes the spotlight off of her, uh, allows everyone gathered to recognize the significance of their sin, and yet he reminds her and them of the need to repent and trust in him. After that, Jesus says in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We are living in a dark world. Our world desperately needs the light of Jesus Christ. For the last couple of Sundays, I was with a team from our church as we visited the city of London and the city of Paris, two great cities in our world, yet two cities that are extremely dark and in need of the light of Jesus Christ. Cities both where once the light of Christ shone brightly, but today it is dimly faded. And those cities are at the best just 20 or 30 years ahead of of where we're headed in our nation as we've walked away from the things of God. You don't have to be a sociologist or one who studies society to understand that we are living in a dark world. All you have to do is open the newspaper or look on the internet to see what is taking place. And in that context 2,000 years ago, and in that context today, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Did anybody see the news from the middle of the night? There was a big meteor that fell through the sky in North Florida. Look at this. That's not the moon. (laughs) That's the big green light of a meteor that flashed across the sky. Those who observed it last night said that it lit up the sky like it was day. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And by the time we get to John chapter 9, having been persecuted by the religious leaders, Jesus is still sharing the same message. I am the one that makes, brings light to the darkness. I am the one who gives sight to those who are blind. He's continuing to illustrate how he's the light of the world, how he brings illumination. So with that in mind, looking in God's word, John chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. As he passed by, well, we probably should just stop right there. If we're going to be like Jesus, we just begin to act like him as we go. And maybe that's where we've gotten it wrong in this society. Hear me, I don't want to condemn those of us who have tried to get it right today by being here. But if we think that setting aside a couple of hours one day a week is what it means to be a follower of Christ. We have missed out on what Jesus did when he walked and talked on this earth. Because it was as he went that people saw 
who he was. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And I have to stop right there and say that over the last few years, this has become one of the most challenging passages for me because I can relate. Because every time I walk into my house, I I see one that I deeply love who was born blind. She's blind from birth. So in those moments of contemplation, much like you're going to see in this passage, I have questions. I ask God for miracles. Last night, as she sat on my lap and we prayed, she literally prayed these words. And God, would you heal my eyes? So after I prayed, I said, baby, do you know what I'm talking about from the Bible tomorrow? She said, no. I told her this story, and that raised lots of questions. And then I said this. I said, but Aniah, do you know the greatest message of that story in the Bible? Again, she said, no. And I said, here it is. While Jesus helped that blind man to see, the greatest thing he did is open the eyes of his heart and helped him to see him. That's what we're going to discuss today. And the disciples ask him in verse 2, Rabbi, who sinned? This man are his parents that he was born blind. Well, I've got two thoughts before we move past this verse. Our natural tendency is to ask why, isn't it? We go through the hiccups of life. Why? We go through the challenges, the valleys, and we want to know why. We face something unexpected, something we don't want and we did not plan, and we want to know why. And we always assume we're the masters of our own fate. That indeed has been a philosophy of many throughout history. I am what I make myself to be. I'm my own master. And so if something goes wrong, it must be because of something I've done or or at least something that someone has done to me. It's the direct cause of my problems. But what Jesus is going to teach us is that this short circuits biblical truth and spiritual reality. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. The Bible teaches that our God is a sovereign God and that nothing touches our life that doesn't first filter through his hands. 
That's why the wisest one who's ever lived, according to Scripture, Solomon, would say repeatedly things like this. We may make our plans, but it's the Lord who governs our steps. The king's heart, he says, is in the hand of the Lord. But I want you to see something else. The disciples were so focused on this theological implication of the moment that they missed the person in need of the moment. And I can't help but think that that's yet another problem that we have in the modern church today. It's kind of cool to come together at least once a week and postulate about how we believe things to be according to Scripture. If you get on Christian social media, there's a lot of discussion about theology. And yet if we're not careful, we'll gather in our large rooms We'll sing the songs that we love. We'll passionately proclaim the name of Jesus while walking right by those in need. If we're going to let the light of the world shine through us, we must see those in need. It's much easier to spend our time having theological discussions than it is to profess what we believe. I'm so thankful that we are a church that are reaching individuals who've never begun a relationship with Christ. We regularly see the baptismal waters stirred. But understand this reality. Most of us who gathered here aren't in need of another Bible study. We're in need of doing what we already know to do. Most of us are educated beyond our obedience. But we've mistaken being educated for being a disciple And our lives don't look like the disciples of Christ. The world's hungry and hurting, looking for those whose beliefs lead to life-giving and life-changing action. And so Jesus answered. (laughs) I can't help but believe he scoffed, he smirked, he laughed. And he said, it's not this man that sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. I want you to hear those first two words of verse three, Jesus answered. Say that with me. Say, Jesus answered. Listen, God is not intimidated by your questions. God will always answer. That's been the promise since the Old Testament. Call on me, and I will tell you what, great and mighty things. It's the promise of the New Testament. The half-brother of Jesus says in James chapter 1, in verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, all you have to do is ask of the Lord, and he'll give it to you how? Generously. Oh, God's not intimidated by our questions, and he always is willing to answer But when you reach a point of spiritual maturity, you understand you don't have to have all the answers. Again, that goes back to that mindless, endless cycle that can become of theological pursuit. There comes a point where we have to say, my God is bigger. My God is greater. His ways are higher. And as such, there are going to be some things that I don't understand. 
And as you look to God to do the miraculous in your life, one of the things that you're going to have to resolve is whether or not you can embrace the mystery of God. You can embrace him when you don't fully see what he's doing. God's bigger than you. But what was Jesus speaking of? Because we have to understand in a general sense, sin does cause the problems in this world, doesn't it? Remember what happened in the beginning? God created everything that was and said it's good. He created Adam and Eve and he said, this is very good. And then he cut them loose. Y'all just have fun, run around naked, name the animals, do everything you want to do, but stay away from that tree. And when they disobeyed God, sin entered this world and what was perfect became broken. And ever since this world has been broken, And so pain and suffering, wars and illness, all the things that make life challenging exist because of the presence of sin. But Jesus was making clear in a specific way, not all of your personal problems are here because of specific sins in your life. Now, can our sinful choices result in consequences that cause difficulty? Absolutely. If someone gets into an automobile and drives under the influence of alcohol or drugs, their sinful and illegal actions can not only cause the loss of their life potentially, but the loss of others. And there are many examples of how there are consequences of our sinfulness. But Jesus was saying in this case, this blindness, this particular issue was not a sin issue, but... It was still part of God's sovereign plan. And so that's a good place to stop and just acknowledge that some of us who gathered here, some of us who are listening are walking through life and we're battling with things we don't understand, we don't like. We we think we've done the evaluation and we say, I don't believe this is a direct result of any sin in my life. That's always wise for you to do personally. It's never wise for you to do about somebody else's circumstance. But when you've done that, are you willing to say, God, all right, this may not be a direct result of specific sin in my life. I'm going to trust you that your works might be displayed. So what if we began to look at our life as a canvas on which the masterpieces of God's artwork could be displayed. That's what Jesus said. He said, this is not a sin. They even, there was a belief back in that day that perhaps even in the womb, the child, which by the way, 2,000 years ago, they understood the child was alive in the womb. And so there was a belief that maybe in the womb the child sinned, and that's what caused this. Jesus said, this is not about the sin of the parents or the sin of the person. This is that the work of God might be displayed. I want you to look at what's going on in your world because all of us have a canvas, right? All of us have things we're facing. 
And we've remembered because if you hang out here more than one week at a time, you're going to hear that we're either in the middle of a storm, we're coming out of a storm, or we may not know it, but we're headed into the storm. So this relates to all of us. When you look at what's going on in your little corner of the world, ask this question, what if what I'm experiencing, I'm going through so that the work of God might be displayed? What's taking place in your life right now that could serve as an opportunity for the work of God to be displayed. One of the great regrets of my life is to think back and look at some specific opportunities of trial when I didn't respond in faithful trust and let the work of God be displayed. Look at verse 4. So Jesus goes on to say, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. And what Jesus acknowledges his limited opportunity to get things done. Now Jesus was walking toward the cross and he's all knowing. So he knew that his earthly ministry would draw to a close. But guess what? We're not all knowing, but we're aware that one day this life will draw to a close. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know when God will allow us to depart from this life and enter into the next. And yet how often do we hurry and scurry through life consumed with things that don't really matter while lacking urgency concerning the things that have eternal significance? Where in our life do we need to say, hey, while it is day, we had better get to work. It's spiritual urgency. I want to remind you today that for everybody you know, friend, family member, work associate, classmate, for everybody you know, eternity hangs in the balance. And as a follower of Christ, I I don't know how to accept that truth and not act on it, to not live my life seeking to make a difference in the lives of others. My friend, Pastor Zach, had an opportunity yesterday to be a part of a celebration of life service for someone he did not know but someone who was influential in their field of work. And as Zach preached that funeral message, he also had an opportunity to share the gospel of salvation, the truth of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternity. And there at a funeral service, several grown men in the boxing profession gave their lives to Jesus Christ. There's something... There's something about the reality of life and death that opens our eyes to the urgency. This life is frail. It's coming to a close. May we not sing that song. I grew up learning in Sunday night church. I wished we'd all been ready. Look at verse 5. So Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And then notice what he does. 
Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go washed in the pool of Siloam, Siloam, which means sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now, isn't this a strange and simple way for Jesus to do a miracle? If you turn on religious television and you watch many of those who are professing to do miracles and wonders in the name of Jesus, it's often a little more flashy than what Jesus did in this setting. Because the purpose of what Jesus was doing was to give the man sight so that he might see the giver of eyes. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910.